I don't want to be a martyr. Nor I. I want to live. That is good. For believing what you do, we confer upon you a rare gift these days. A martyr's death. The cross commands you. The blood of the martyrs commands you. I wrote them down in my diary so that I wouldn't have to remember. All right, today is going to be a little bit different. We are making our way through the world, through history, having all sorts of good fun, right? Well, realize this. I say remember, remember, realize, pay attention, however you want to look at this. Up through about, through the 12th century, I'm going to put it there, most of the way through the 12th century, persecution against Christians came primarily from pagans. There were some exceptions. There were apostates who would also persecute as well. So we saw this with the uh, various Aryans amongst the uh, Visigoths and the Ostrogoths and all that crowd when we talked about some of that. But once you get past that, you start dealing in the beginnings of Christendom in the early Middle Ages. The majority of the martyrs that we encounter during the early Middle Ages are encountering paganism, or if you get into other parts of the world, they're encountering or encounter, encountering Islam or various other religions. Once you start hitting the high Middle Ages, so you're talking about post-1000, you begin to see persecution against Christians from Christians. Now, this is—I mean, somebody needs to be in air quotes here because— the majority of the persecutions during the High Middle Ages leading up into the Protestant Reformation are coming at the direction of the Roman Catholic Church. They are coming with the approval of papal authority. The problem with that <coughs> is that the papal authority is apostate. I mean, ro shaggy, we have an apostate father of the Church, the way the structure has established itself. Now, why is this the case? And am I just being mean to the Catholics? No, no, I'm not. And honest historians will tell you this is the case. Remember some of the stuff we've talked about, mentioned this a few times, how because of the feudal structure, you have both secular and sacred authority being mixed into one office. Well, there is no one place where this is more true than in the papal office, the Bishop of Rome. The Bishop of Rome is also, for lack of a better description, the Duke or Prince of Rome. He's the largest landholder. He has the coffers of both the Vatican City as a sacred office, as well as the Vatican and Roman provinces as a secular ruler. He's a borderline king of a very small country. So this is a product of the feudal system, which at this point would go back, give or take 800 years, you know, depending on what time frame you're looking at. So you, probably something that's really birthed out uh, late 400s or into the 500s. Now, what's the big problem that this creates moving forward into the Middle Ages and with our understanding of martyrdom in the High Middle Ages? Well, the problem it creates is that it, it basically smashes Romans 13 into Matthew 18. What I mean by that, Romans 13, Paul's exposition about the power of government, the Christian submission to government, and we don't have time to go into all of that, but you can 
Go look up resources on that. It'll do you good. So the government bears the sword. That is a God-ordained process. That is a God-ordained authority and office. Government has the right to police its borders for good. That's part of Romans 13. Well, how does that match up with Matthew 18? Well, Matthew 18 is your church discipline process. So you see a brother in sin, you go to him, you confront him. If he doesn't repent, you bring a few others from the church. You go get the deacons or something like that, and you go to him. If he still doesn't repent, then you bring him before the church. And if he doesn't repent before the church, then you cast him out and you make him an unbeliever. But what happens when the church that you bring the sinning man before is also the government commanded to bear the sword for good and against evil. You begin to see where this goes off the rails very, very quickly and very, very deadly as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that is why you have some of the problems that you have in Middle Ages Europe. So. <clears throat> I don't have a martyr today, not not technically. What we're actually going to talk about, because we're going to get into some of these martyrs of the high Middle Ages in the next couple of weeks, because like I said I'm, I have fun going through the history and, and moving forward and, and kind of celebrating the accomplishments of these men, but there's a different lesson today. The reason why I don't have a specific martyr is because what gets killed the most when you borrow from the world as a Christian organization, is not the people. It's Scripture. And so, like an example of this, and, and this is not the only proof text, mind you, but borrowing from Augustine, the churches of the High Middle Ages, or maybe I should just say that the, uh, the Roman Catholic Church of the High Middle Ages, actually thought it had a biblical warrant to use governmental authority to persecute heretics, and that warrant came from Luke 14. I want to read you this parable. You ready? Now, large crowds were going along with him. This is Jesus talking, and he turned to them and said, <clears throat> If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own—oh, wait a minute. Am I reading the right parable? Did I write that? I wrote down the wrong one. This is absolutely the wrong parable. There it is. Yep, there it is. Oh, my goodness. I wrote down my wrong verses. I apologize. So, a man was giving a big dinner. I'm, I'm, I'm one parable too late. A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land. I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going out to try them. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported, to that, to this, uh, reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry, said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what do you command has been done? I'm sorry, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. You caught it, right? You caught the area that says that the church has the right to use secular authority to punish the heretics, right? It hinges on the compel them to come in. This is the problem with language. Proclaim the gospel. Preach, urge, exhort, becomes demand, convert at the edge of a sword. Scripture becomes the martyr 
when the sacred world surrenders to the secular. Now, this creates friction in the world, obviously. And we'll see this in the next couple of weeks as we go through some of, the, some of this and have some fun with this. I mean, there are what will hang. On, what ends up coming about from this is various reform movements, and this is something you're going to see if you do any real digging into church history and any study in it whatsoever. You're going to see various reform movements going really all the way back into the first and second, well, probably not the first century, but into the second and third centuries. Some of the ref, air quotes reform movements are reform movements in name only, meaning they're heretics who are seeking to conquer Christianity. Some of them are actual calls away from the bishop structure, away from a false understanding of Scripture. So as you move into the High Middle Ages, you begin to see some of these. There are some good ones. The Waldensians, the Lollards, these are guys we'll, uh, we'll talk about. Some are not so good. One example of that would be the Cathars, also known as the Albigensians. We'll actually talk about them because they're going to be persecuted by the Roman Catholic Church, despite the fact that they are a reform movement that is also a heretical reform movement. This is, again, what you open up to when you lose Scripture as the standard. You begin to fight the world on the world's terms, and this is something that is very difficult for the Church. So what's the point? What's the lesson that we care about? As we look at history and see the failures of the people that have come before us, the loss of truth, the loss of an orthodox Bible-based structure, the loss of the fidelity to Scripture and the adoption of the world. Well, it's a reminder that, Christian, your faith in God must be central. And what I mean by that is not just a faith in God's salvation, but a faith in God's provision and governance. Your hope is not in your city council. Your hope is not in your government. Your hope is not in the next election, which we all know is the most important election of our lives. Your hope is not there. Your hope is in God and his work in Christ. Your grounding of everything in your life on an objective standard is so vitally important. You want to track the problems in heretical movements. You want to track the breakdowns of church structures. You will find them all with their birth in a rejection of an objective standard and a borrowing of a subjective standard or a cooperation with the world over and against Scripture. And then the last one is the, probably the most controversial one, actually. Any structure that is friendly, I'm going to put that in air quotes, friendly with the world is a structure that needs to be watched closely and highly vetted. I didn't say any structure that the world doesn't disapprove of. I said anything that is friendly with the world. So yes, I'm talking to you churches who sit there and say, we want to make this a comfortable place for the non-believer. That's a standard that is now sinking sand. This is the warning of history. This is why we study the great men who held firm to the standard as aided by God, because it's an encouragement, Christian, that there are those who have and those who will hold the line. Christian, study your word. Rest upon God. Trust in his provision. Until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good.